Hi everyone and welcome to DevRaga Personal Finance. My name's DevRaga and I'm your host and in this episode we will go through the basics, back to the basics and discuss the concept of debt recycling. It gets thrown around a lot in the financial circles, particularly online, on social media, on Facebook groups and Twitter and it's a really good concept to understand, especially if you have a principal place of residence. Let's get started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Now, if you want me to discuss a specific topic, or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And for those of you that are new to the channel, remember the education, empowerment, and entertainment. That's the three core principles of this channel. Now, before we get on to the main topic of debt recycling, we need to revisit some important principles which will aid us in understanding debt recycling. The first principle we need to understand is what is debt? Basically, it's when you can borrow money from someone else or another institution and use that money to do various things. When you borrow money to buy things such as consumption items, such as cars or go on holidays, buy a TV or a piece of furniture, it's considered bad debt because we're borrowing money to buy things which depreciate in value. When you borrow money to buy things like a home to live in, for example, it's considered so-called good debt in inverted commas, which I really hate the concept of because we hope the home that we buy, that we live in, will appreciate in value over the long term. Now, in both scenarios, the money we borrow comes at a cost called interest payments. We borrow that money from other businesses like banks or credit unions, and those businesses lend us the money and charge an interest on the money lent. That interest and any other additional fees is their profits. Now, if we had the money in our bank account, we wouldn't need to borrow money in the first place. So usually when people borrow money, it's because they don't have large sums of money which they can utilize and don't have it sitting right around the corner without an already established purpose, such as emergency funds, for example. Now, the concept of deductible versus non-deductible debt, that's the next thing we need to talk about. In Australia, if you borrow money and use that money to buy a non-income producing asset, then it means any cost associated with that borrowing, for example, fees or interests, cannot be offset against your income. This means this sort of debt is non-deductible. So when you think about it, even though people think buying your own home is an asset, it's technically a liability because it's costing you money in the form of maintenance, interest payments, council rates, water charges, and you live in it because it doesn't produce any income for you. You just hope after 30 or 40 or 50 years, that home that you've just bought raises in value. In fact, I usually consider buying your own home a speculative asset. And that's a controversial view I know, but it it doesn't produce any income during the time that you hold that house. So I can't see it in you know, a purist form, an investment. 
I also understand we all need housing security and I own my own home and I think it's extremely important to not lose sight of this. I'm not saying don't buy a home. What I'm saying is don't buy a home thinking it's an asset. It's technically not. It doesn't produce any income. It costs your income and therefore technically, in my view, the very humble view, is a liability. Therefore, borrowing money to buy your own home is considered non-deductible debt. That is the home that you live in. In Australia, we call it PPOR or PPR, which is principal place of residence. The interest on borrowings cannot be deducted against your home. Quite a common question online. To use an example, Amy is a business analyst and borrows, let's say, $300,000 to buy her own home. The interest rate at the moment is, let's say, 5% per annum, and that means every year she has to pay $15,000 in interest rate repayments for her mortgage. If she earns $100,000 per annum, she cannot deduct $15,000 in interest repayments against her income. This is because Amy has borrowed money to buy a non-income producing asset so-called non-deductible debt. Now, let's change the story a little bit. Suppose Amy borrowed exactly the same amount of money and bought exactly the same house for the same price, but she chooses not to live in it, but rather rent it out, and it brings a yearly income of $15,000. This means Amy has borrowed money and bought an investment property which generates income via rent. This means Amy has bought an income-producing assets using her borrowings, so any costs or maintenance associated with those borrowings is technically tax-deductible, so-called deductible debt. So in this latter example, her interest on loans will be around $15,000, her income from rent is around $15,000, and to make things simple, let's assume council rates and other water charges amount to $2,000 per year. Therefore, her total cost for the property is $15,000 of interest-free payments, plus another two grand charges on council rates, etc. So that's a $17,000 outlay on an investment property per year. But a total rental income for the property per year is $15,000. Now, I've excluded, you know, real estate fees and all that sort of stuff because it just becomes complicated. And for this purpose of this example, let's keep it really simple. So the money she spends is $17,000 out of her pocket and the money she gets from rental income is $15,000. So she's having to fork out the difference of $2,000 for her own pocket. This cost on owning the property is now offset against her income. So if her income was, let's say, $100,000, she can show the ATO her cost of owning the property after all the income generated from the same property is $2,000. So her new taxable income is $98,000. These are very rough figures. I don't know, a lot of you purists out there will come back to me. What about real estate fees? What about these fees? What about that fees? I've just kept it very, very simple for the novice to understand the principles of debt, non-deductible debt and deductible debt. So in this case, you know, this is a very simple rudimentary calculation before someone's mind just explodes. So please take a chill pill. So those are the three things that you need to understand, debt, deductible debt, and non-deductible debt. So what's the big deal for Amy in the second scenario? Well, if Amy bought a good investment property, it means it becomes an income producing asset over the very long term, such as 30, 40, 50 years, and hopefully that property will rise in value and in that 30, 40, 50 years will continue to return a rental income and hopefully that income will also rise in those years. All the while, she will keep deducting any expenses and hopefully after 30, 40 or 50 years, she'll make a lot of money. 
Essentially, Amy will be maximising her tax deductions and utilising the legitimate ATO rule to reduce her taxes and grow her wealth. This is basically what thousands of people have done in their 90s and the early 2000s and even 2010s to grow their property portfolio and rode the property boom over the last 30 years in Australia, which I think is still going on, and literally become multi-millionaires. So what's the underlying concepts here again? Number one, try to minimise your non-deductible debt. Number two, try to maximise your deductible debt. Now, this is a financial mantra you need to know and master. That is, while you have non-deductible debt, you need to minimise it and at the same time, try and maximise your deductible debt. And overall, my philosophy on debt, as everyone knows, is I'm not a great fan of it, but I do understand that sometimes you may need to use debt to your advantage to create wealth. Now, in the previous two scenarios we've just discussed, Amy only bought one property and had to choose if she will live in it or rent it out. Now, if Amy bought the same property and lived in it, is there a way she could turn some of that debt from being non-deductible to deductible? Because if she could do this, then it fulfills the mantra, maximize deductible debt and minimize non-deductible debt. That's where debt recycling comes in. So, what is debt recycling? Basically, in this concept, you're trying to turn your non-deductible debt into deductible debt by restructuring your loans. And this only works if you buy a principal place of residence. So, for example, you can't really buy a great TV and a great piece of furniture and call that a non-deductible debt and try and recirculate that and debt recycle that. If someone's figured that out, let me know. As far as I'm aware, you can't do that. So it's got to be really property related. So in this particular scenario of debt recycling, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the best of both worlds. You're still utilizing debt to buy non-income producing assets, such as living in your own home, but then you're recycling that debt, rinse and repeat, that debt and repurposing it to buy an income producing asset. This means you have housing security, And hopefully over time, you can grow your investment, quote unquote, and grow your wealth. Let's use another example to highlight this principle. Amy is the same business analyst. She needs to buy a home to live in. She purchases a home for $300,000 in 2020 during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. She got a great deal. Luckily for her, her income and job was stable, and she's been working hard over the last three years to pay down the mortgage. Her annual income is $100,000, and she's reduced her mortgage to $200,000. Now, that's a phenomenal effort. In a few years' time, Amy has gone from a $300,000 mortgage and reduced it to $200,000 and really taken advantage of the low interest rate environments just before the inflationary and rising interest rates that crept up in 2022 and 2023. So Amy wants to somehow utilize her existing asset, which is entirely non-income producing because she's living in it, and buy more assets, which produces income. But at the same time, she wants to benefit from tax deductions. And this is that conversion of non-deductible debt to deductible debt. Here's the key principles that everyone needs to understand. Amy's primary intention is to grow her wealth. And her primary intention is not tax deduction. So Amy understands doing something purely for the sole purposes of tax deductions is stupid. So don't fall for this trap even if your accountant suggests it's a good idea. Here's why. If you do something just for tax deduction and not for growing your wealth, it means you're spending a dollar to get a fraction of it back and you will end up really doing stupid things. 
So what are Amy's options? She could keep paying down her mortgage down to $0, or she could revalue her home and find out how much equity she has in her home. And if she did this, she found out that a home is worth around half a million dollars. This brings me to the next concept of what is equity? And we've all heard about the famous Commonwealth Bank ad, which goes equity mate back in the 2000s and 2010s. So what does it actually mean? The formula for equity is equity equals assets minus liabilities. So in Amy's case, her asset is worth around half a million dollars. Her liability, which is a mortgage, is around $200,000. Therefore, her equity in that property is 500 minus 200, which is $300,000. The aim of the game when it comes to growing your wealth is always aim to grow your equity over the long term. Even though in the short term, your balance sheet may look awful and you may have negative equity. So does this mean she has an extra $300,000 sitting in the bank account? No. It just means Amy can go to the bank and ask for some more of her equity in her home. Her bank will ask her, why do you want to utilize your equity? Which is code word for, we will give you more loans based on the value of your property, Amy, but please tell us why you need the money. And Amy will reply, I want to utilize the money bank to buy income producing assets like maybe another property or shares or bonds, etc." then the bank will either accept or deny her request and she will need to fill out some paperwork and apply for another loan to access some of this equity. Now, the next concept that you need to understand is, can Amy just randomly borrow $300,000 because her house has this much equity? The answer is no. It depends on her income, her liabilities, her ability to pay it back. And also remember, if she borrows more money, the bank will want collateral. And in this case, the bank will take her home as collateral. This comes with a level of risk. Eventually, what the bank is saying is, sure, Amy, we'll lend you some of the equity, but in return, we need your home as collateral. This is a risk that no one ever talks about. And of course, it's not something we love to talk about either. And this is what I call downside risk. I actually did a recent episode on this, so if you're interested, go back and listen to that. So when you talk about debt, we never hear about the level of risk. When you talk about debt recycling, you never hear people talking about the level of risk. This is the level of risk that you need to understand. So if Amy borrows on a home and access the equity, then loses her job, guess what? The bank repossesses her home and she loses everything. So we've understood deductible debt, debt, non-deductible debt, and now equity. So let's see how Amy can use debt recycling as a principle to grow her wealth. Granted, she understands the risk side of borrowing more money. In Amy's case, she only wants to access $100,000 in equity. This is easily done. And because the total loans are now only $200,000 plus another $100,000 that she wants, she now wants only $300,000 in total, which is less than 80% of the total value of the property, which is $500,000, remember. She doesn't need to pay LMI, which is lender's mortgage insurance again. She refinances her home loan and specifically structure it in this way. Home loan A is $200,000, which is her existing loan, which is she still needs to pay that back, at an interest rate of 5%. Equity loan A, which is $100,000, which is a new loan structure as an investment loan, and that's where the debt recycling comes in. And let's assume a 5% interest on both for simplicity's sake. 
Amy then uses that $100,000 investment loan and invests it in the stock market, let's say ETF ABC. Now, Amy has to pay interest of $10,000 on a home loan A, which is non-deductible, and $5,000 on an investment loan A, which is equity loan A, which is deductible because she's used it to buy ETF ABC, which produces an income and dividend of, let's say, 5% per annum, and hopefully that ETF will grow in value over time. If Amy's tax bracket is say 30% per annum, this means 30% of that $5,000 equity loan interest repayment is now tax deductible, which is around $1,500 per year, which means the true cost of her interest repayments of that ETF that she bought is around $3,500. That is $100,000 that she's now used to buy ETF ABC. The cost was $5,000 of interest repayments per year, but because she's now able to claw back some of that to tax deductions and reclaim, then the true cost of that $100,000 interest is only $3,500 a year. That is, she saves around $1,500 in interest repayments because it's tax deductible. Now we come to the critical point. We've used the term debt recycling to utilize equity in Amy's home and buying an income producing asset. Essentially, Amy has conveniently utilized equity to convert a non-income producing asset to an income producing asset. And in the meantime, converting her non-deductible debt or part of it only $100,000 into a deductible loan. Now, what would have happened if Amy used $100,000 and bought a brand new car for private use? A brand new car, as horrible decision as it is, is a depreciating asset and doesn't produce any income. But the car might be really nice. This means Amy's total loans of $300,000 will all be non-deductible, whereas in the previous example, at least $100,000 of that will be deductible because she's used that $100,000 to buy income producing assets such as ETF ABC. So what's next? Number one, ETF ABC is now worth $100,000 as purchased. And number two, we hope that ETF ABC will grow in value over time. And number three, we also hope that ETF ABC will produce an income, in this case, hopefully $5,000 per annum. Number four is Amy saving around $1,500 in tax as a result of deductions from a taxable income. That's per year. So this strategy only works if Amy takes the $1,500 tax savings and the $5,000 per annum extra income derived from the ETF ABC, less taxes of course, and pays it into a non-deductible debt. That is her remaining $200,000 of home loan. Let's project this out over the 12 months. 12 months later, $1,500 in tax savings plus $5,000 ETF income, 30% tax on that, means after-tax income of $3,500 of ETF income, and Amy pays off an extra $5,000 into a $200,000 home loan. And if she did this for the term of her loan, assuming 25 years, and she started to do this after three years into the lifespan of the home, she would have saved around 8.5 years of her home loan, so she will pay it off in just over 16 years that's a total interest saving of $50,000.
But here's the kicker. During that time, hopefully ETF ABC will continue to grow in value and our income from the ETF ABC, provided it's a good ETF, will also grow in value. So Amy saves money, pays off her home quicker, grows her wealth and converts a non-deductible debt into deductible debt. Now let's say we are 10 years into this debt recycling. Amy's home loan is now only $100,000, should be around $106,000 to be exact, but let's simplify things. Amy still has $100,000 of equity loan from 10 years ago, which she pays just interest only. Amy approaches the bank again to revalue her property and hopefully now it's worth $700,000. Now her equity stake in her own home is close to $600,000, which means she can then borrow more money. Let's say another $200,000. She sets up another equity investment loan and this time let's call it investment loan B or equity loan B of $200,000 and utilize that to buy more ETF ABC. Assuming interest rates are still 5%, the second investment loan will cost her around $10,000 per annum in interest repayments, which is also tax deductible. Then the cycle can be started again, i.e. Amy has just debt recycled again. So what's the end point? The end point is over time, notice that Amy's non-deductible home loan is reduced from $300,000 which we started off with to just $100,000 10 years later and likely less as she debt recycles over and over again. And over time, the ETF ABC portfolio is also rising and producing hopefully more income. And over time, her deductible investment loan grows from $100,000 to $300,000 all up. She continues to tax deduct all borrowing costs associated with her investment loans and equity loans, and she continues to pay the home loan off over time and utilizes her tax deduction savings and income from ETF ABC to pay off her home loan too to accelerate this process. Doesn't this mean that Amy still has debt after all of this and it's just now called investment debt rather than debt for a home loan? The answer is yes. The whole point of this is to change the non-deductible loans to deductible loans. Amy is still in debt, but that debt is deductible and therefore will cost her less thanks to the tax legislation. Essentially, Amy has figured out a way to get rich off the backs of taxpayers. Let's face it. Now, this sounds all too good to be true. So what's the catch? Let's take a quick break and afterwards, I'll go through the pros and cons of debt recycling and why it's not always a rosy picture. Be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back. So we've systematically gone through the following concepts. Debt, deductible versus non-deductible debt, 
tax savings, dividends, income-producing assets, debt recycling as a concept, equity. It all sounds too good to be true. Why isn't everyone doing this? Well, we did talk a little bit about downside risk. We did talk that every time you borrow more money, you have to put assets as collateral and therefore that increases your risk. And you have to do this, be very, very sure that your primary source of income is pretty stable because you don't want to be losing your job or having something bad happen to you. And as a result, um, you've just increased your risk profile for, in my opinion, some gains, but you know, that's something that risk reward ratio is something you need to calculate for yourself and your family. But what are the advantages of debt recycling? Number one is tax deductions, right? We've discussed this in the worked examples with Amy before. I mean, any borrowing cost on loans taken out to buy income producing assets can be deducted against any income. And this means over time, you can reduce your taxes and utilize those tax savings more effectively. Number two is diversification. Buying your own home to live in is great. Don't get me wrong. It provides housing security and it's the antithesis of diversification when you think about it because you're buying one home on one street in one suburb in one city in one state or town in one country. Literally everything here screams concentration risk rather than spreading your risks across a basket of asset securities. Sure, over the past 30 years, it's worked out well in Australia. But who knows what will happen in the next 30 years? Granted, the outlook for property in 2024 is looking pretty good, even by the time this episode airs. Paying off your home loan quicker. That's the third one. The whole point of debt recycling is to pay your home loan off sooner. Otherwise, it's a pointless exercise. And I can't stress this enough. You're taking more risk and more debt for little gain. So what are the disadvantages? What are the risks of debt recycling? Number one is investment risk. You're borrowing money to buy investments, which hopefully rise in value and produce an income. In Amy's you know, example, she used that money to buy ETF ABC. And in the projections that I've used, the ETF ABC hopefully goes up in value over 30 years or 40 years and also has rising interest rate or dividend payments. This is a risk in itself, right? Because borrowing money is always going to be risky. So if you borrow money and choose the wrong ETF or wrong investment or wrong asset class, then basically you've increased your risk for potential losses. Number two is interest rate risk. The aim is to borrow money and use that money at a low interest rate and then invest it into assets which produce greater returns interest rate arbitrage, right? In today's interest rate environment, this can be quite difficult to do. So debt recycling works much better in lower interest rate cycles and doesn't work as well in higher interest rate environments like we have in 2024. Imagine if you borrowed money at high interest rates and then invested it into the stock market and there's a massive downturn and dividends are cut and companies go bankrupt and go out of business, then it's a double whammy and bad long-term outlook. And you now you're stuck with that equity loan, you know, you can pay it back quicker, but you know, it just means you might have to sell off the collateralized assets, which again, increases your risk. Number three is cash flow risk. When you borrow money, you need to be able to service the repayments on the loans, including interest costs. Tax savings is an afterthought. You still need to pay the debts back. That's why never do things for the sole benefit of taxation. That's just silly. Number four is capital gains tax. When you borrow money to invest and buy an asset, and eventually if you sell that asset, any capital gains from that asset is taxable. 
If you hold the asset for greater than 12 months, you will get a 50% capital gains discount, but it still means you're liable for taxes on the 50% gain. This is something to be kept in mind. Nothing is free. Ideally, in my world, I don't sell any assets which rise in value, hopefully over the long term, and pay me a good income over that term, which hopefully also rises. So it wouldn't make any sense to ever sell the asset that's doing so well, but sometimes hard times come about, and you may be forced to liquidate to compensate for any hard times or losses or life events. So COVID is a good example where people were in a situation of cashing out their superannuation, which is a form of investment, so that they can utilize it for their cash flow. So one of the things you should consider before jumping into debt recycling, number one is you should always seek out expert advice, either an accountant or your financial planner advisor, before plunging into a debt recycling situation, because every person's situation is unique. And number two is things like tax implications, understanding the various risks, finding that right investment to buy and assessing your overall financial situation is really important. Some of the things that I've seen uh, when people have actually contacted me, what they've done is they're so obsessed and so fantasized with this concept of debt recycling because they've got a massive mortgage and as the interest rates piling on at the moment to the high interest rate cycles, they're getting nervous. So what they do is they really want to take advantage of the debt recycling concept, which I totally support. If you want to do that and you've got a big mortgage and you want to reduce the non-deductible debt and convert it to deductible debt, absolutely get some advice and go for it. But what they tend to do is because they're so obsessed and fantasizing about this concept, they go and get that equity from their home and then put it into a lousy investment, which doesn't really bring them back their returns and doesn't really provide them with a good income. And that's the risk when you rush into these things, really need to get proper advice, really need to get projections, we need to make sure that it's suitable for you and also take into account your downside risk, please. Now, that's about it for this episode. Hopefully, that's a systematic breakdown on debt recycling. We've covered a lot of concepts on this one. So you might want to replay this a little bit later, maybe next week, the week after, to get every single thing down packed, to do some calculations on your own situation. Now, remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you may be using. I'll leave a five-star review on all of the platforms. That's even better. And please leave a positive review. The more ratings and reviews you leave, the more people get access to my podcast. So please keep them coming. Coming. My name's Dev Raga, and this is Dev Raga Personal Finance. And until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.